Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Amen. Um, well, I just welcome you all out to grace this morning. Those of you that are a part of our congregation and our family, those of you that are visiting with us, new ones who are their very first time in church, period. Yes, uh, that we, uh, we welcome you all out to celebrate the resurrection the thing that gives us hope, this is the whole reason why we come and why we gather, is to celebrate what Jesus did for us, amen? And so we get to do that. So well, we're coming at the end of the book of Luke, a, a journey that we've been taking for about, a, what is it, 18 months now that we've been looking through the book of Luke and the gospel of Jesus Christ and what that means for our world and for each one of us. And Today's story, I want to take you back. I want you to recall a story back at the very beginning of Luke. Uh, if you were with us, you've heard it. If not, it may be still familiar with it. Back in chapter 2, when Jesus was yet still a 12-year-old boy, and in, verses, in chapter 2, verses 41 and following, we see a story that Luke tells us about the first Passover that we see that Jesus and his family celebrate. Here we are on the weekend of the, the last Passover that he celebrates, but it says in, the, in chapter 2 that his family, they, they would year after year, they would always celebrate the Passover, but this is the first one we see where there's a story to tell with it. The story goes on after they get done with the Passover, that the family, his parents, they leave town, right? They go back to their hometown, back in Nazareth. But along the way, if you recall, what happens, what do they notice about their son Jesus? He's missing, right? They realized that Jesus remained in Jerusalem. And they went around looking out for him. They looked for him, and they went back to Jerusalem themselves, probably a little scared, a little unsure about what was going on. And in verse 46, it picks, let me pick it up there. It says this. It says, after three days' journey, they found him in the temple court sitting among the teachers. After three days, they find Jesus in the temple courts, and they say to him, in verse 47, they say, Child, why have you treated us look like this? Look, your father and I have been looking for you anxiously. Three days anxiously looking for Jesus. But he replies to them, and I love these. He says, Why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? And I love the story there. It says that Mary and Joseph, it goes on that says they did not, yet they did not understand the remark that he made to them. Nor would they for a very long time. In our passage today, we have a story of another couple. A man named Cleopas. And another that it's unnamed. I like to actually think, the more I've looked into the story, the more I think that this other person, this other disciple, is probably his wife walking along with him the road back away from Jerusalem. And this couple is going to go through a very similar experience. They have lost Jesus. They have lost hope. And here they are, what? Three days later, where everything they know about him, everything about their sacred scriptures, everything about Yahweh God himself would be forever changed. 
I love their, their, their saying they say to the, along the road, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. This was the hope. This was the desire of those who had followed Jesus into Jerusalem to celebrate this last Passover days before. This great prophet, the one who was more than a prophet, was to be their Messiah, the anointed one of Israel who would rescue the people of Israel from bondage. And he had chosen this Passover, as they understood, to be the time to come into his majesty and to bring a greater exodus that they had been celebrating for about 1,500 years, a greater exodus from bondage, and to restore the people of God to their favored position. This was it. Until it wasn't. Their Messiah instead was hung upon a cross. A violent death for a peaceful man. A swift end to an expectant hope. And here we find Cleopas and his companion walking along the road away from Jerusalem, defeated and lacking any hope. Now, sure, to be sure, there were stories, right? Stories they had even heard that morning before they left on the road back home. That some of the women, right, who had gone down to the tomb expecting a dead person, you don't bring spices, but to cover up what? The smell and the stench of death. But they said when they arrived that the stone had been rolled away. Not only that, they had said there were two messengers of God that had told them that Jesus was no longer dead, but he had risen and he was alive. Not only that, even Peter himself had even gone down and found nothing but the grave clothes lying there, the strips of cloth. Interestingly, the same thing that wrapped the little baby boy at the beginning of, June, or beginning of Luke. But that was all nonsense, right? Surely all of that had to be nonsense. Because here they find themselves walking down the path away from Jerusalem, having heard these things, but there's no way these things can be true. I mean, at the very least, in that day, right, the, the testimony of women are not something in a court of law that was permissible. Witnesses that weren't allowed. Perhaps, can we, can we even trust what their report was, right? Maybe Peter had just found that the body was stolen away, right? Surely, something could explain this. Maybe these ladies, they just wanted to believe in their grief that these angels had spoken to them about something great. But most of all, what? People do not rise from the dead, right? They just don't do it. And here we have in verse 14, these two people walking down the road, talking to each other about all of the things that had happened. There was once light, but now there's darkness on the road to Emmaus. 
But one of my very favorite phrases in all of literature, I love this phrase, you don't see it that often, but I love it, is the idea of little did they know. Little did they know about what had occurred. Along the road, what do they do? They meet up with a man who would challenge their thinking and open their eyes to the truth. And we see Luke tells us, we get the insider's look reading, Luke tells us that the, that the person following along with him was who? The man that followed along and came with him was Jesus. In verse 15. But it says their eyes are blind to see him for who he truly is. As are the eyes of all who have had not had them opened to the truth of Jesus. And what do they do? They recite their understanding of the events. They, they tell them all about it. They, they're even amazed. Like, how can you be the only person in all of Jerusalem that has no clue what's going on? This is, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for for so many years. And you don't know? I would even imagine it's a little scary. Maybe this guy is a plant. You ever think about that? Maybe this one is wanting to see if they're truly followers because what might happen out on that road is that they may be claimed with him and suffer the same fate. Do you not know who this guy is? And in verse 21, I love they say, but we had hoped, here it is, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Not only this, but it is now the third day since these things happened. In verse 21, they revealed their failed hope. We have hoped. And now, three days later, here they sit. Yeah, there's some good reports, but it's over. We're going home. And in this scene here in Luke on the way to Emmaus, I think we have another couple like we did in chapter 2. Three days out from seeing Jesus. Three days out from losing hope and finding him. And Jesus, interestingly, responding quite similarly to them as he did to his parents. To his parents, he says, must I, I must be about my father's business. He goes from that to telling them what? It was necessary for the Messiah to suffer these things and, and to enter into his glory. So you got to understand something, church. The cross was no accident. The cross was not some outside force taking control of the situation. It was no mistake. This was the plan of God, Yahweh God, before the foundations of the world were laid down. And here's the thing. They thought, they thought that Israel would be redeemed from suffering but here's the beauty of the gospel. The beauty of Jesus is, no, little did they know that in fact Israel would be redeemed through suffering. You know, Jesus had said this to them over and over. But like we see here, what had happened over and over throughout the gospel loops, their eyes had been, what, blinded. Look with me real quick, Luke chapter 9, verses 22. And looking at Luke chapter 9, 22, this is the, just following Peter's confession of Jesus. When Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? Peter says what? The Christ of God. 
You are the Messiah sent from God. And on that profession, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But I love what he says in verse 22, but he says, but what? The son of man, in the midst of that, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and experts in the law and be killed and on the third day raised. It's fascinating. Jesus had said it right there, did he not? As plain as day what had happened in these last 24 hours, or actually, I guess in the last four days at the time that he comes along with them. What about in chapter 15 in the, the, pro, the story of the prodigal son? We all know that when the prodigal, right, that had wastefully spent his, his wealth, but then the father who is just as wasteful, it seems, and giving so much to his son, welcomes him back in 1523. And what does he say there? He says, bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and let's celebrate. Look at that, that meal. Eat and celebrate. Why? Because this son of mine was what? Dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is now found. So they began to celebrate. Not only that, what about the rich man and Lazarus? The story Jesus tells, right? Of the, the rich man or that, that goes into Hades and the, the Lazarus who goes into Abraham's bosom. And it says about him, Jesus finishes that in verse 31, that story Whenever he talks about them, the rich man says, Send Abraham to my relatives, and they will repent. But Jesus says to him in 1631, If they do not respond to Moses and the prophets, he will not, they will not be convinced, even if someone, what? Rises from the dead. Jesus had told this story over and over, but their eyes were too blind to see it. And now Luke says as he, that Jesus, in walking along the road with these two, that he opens up the scriptures to show them how it all pointed to what? To him. You imagine that sermon? Man, you imagine, like, I, how, to imagine being a part of that sermon given right there. The whole. Not just a few proof texts. Not just a couple of places, but the entire story, the whole history of Israel and their prophets from Moses through the prophets, they all, he says, pointed forward to a fulfillment which could only be found when God's anointed, what? Took Israel's suffering. And subsequently, I think the whole world's suffering And he took that upon himself. And he dies under its weight. But not only that, he what? He rose again. As the beginning of God's new creation and his new people. Jesus says this is what had to happen. And now it just had. And I love it. The story goes on after he shares those things with them. It says, they approached the village, in verse 28, they approached the village where they were going. And he acted as though he wanted to go further. But they urged him to stay, saying, stay with us, because it's getting towards evening. The day is almost done. 
So he went in to stay with them. And so now as we approach the village of Emmaus and we finally reach the destination, they sit down and they have with Jesus a what? A meal. A meal that Luke, in his language here, ties to the very first meal in the Bible. Anybody know what the very first meal in the Bible is? Think about it. What's the first meal that happens in the Bible? Anybody? This is, the, this is an actual question. I'm curious. Yeah, there was, a, there was a fruit that was eaten early on, wasn't there? Oh, yeah. I heard that. I heard that, Deborah. Oh, yeah. Luke is pointing us back to the very first meal of what he's going to say here. I want you to turn with me back into Genesis chapter 3. In chapters 1 and 2, we see the story of what? Creation. Creating something, right? God has created all of the heavens and the earth, and he has placed who in his garden to tend it? A man and the woman, a husband and his wife in the garden to tend it. And he makes a covenant with them that they're going to be able to eat in fellowship and joy and fulfillment with him. But if you know the story, by chapter 3 of the book, we screw it up, do we not? It doesn't take us very long. I want to pick it up in verse 6. Look at this. This first meal. When the woman saw that the tree produced fruit, that it was good for food, was attractive to the eye and was desirable for making one wise, she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And lest you think that Adam was a come along lately, came along a little bit later, she also gave of it to her husband who was what? With her. Don't think that Adam didn't hear what, see what was going on. Adam's right there being as passive as he could possibly be. And he ate it. The very first meal we see in the Bible is a poor one. And look at this. And then, what? The eyes of both of them were open, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. In the very first meal in the Bible, they eat, and their eyes are what? Open. But interestingly enough, only open enough to see their own nakedness, to see their own fallenness, to see that they are nothing. And in their eyes being open, they are, interestingly, and throughout Scripture, they are nothing more than simply what? Blinded to the reality of God. You know, this fate was, has been told again and again as the beginning of the woes that had come upon the human race. Death itself was traced to that moment, to that very moment of rebellion. The whole creation was subjected to decay, futility, and sorrow. But now, in a whole little home in Emmaus, Luke echoes that story Describing the very first meal that we see happen, not in creation, but in the what? The new creation that Jesus is setting up. Look at verse 31, or 30. He said, when they had taken his place at the table with them, he took the bread, he blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. 
And I like to think as he broke that bread and he gave it to them, what did they do? They took it to themselves and they ate of that bread. And interestingly, in verse 31, what happens? Their eyes are opened. In this moment, this couple at Emmaus discover that the curse of Genesis 3 has been broken. Death itself has been defeated. God's new creation filled with life, with joy, and with possibility has come into the world where decay and sorrow once ruled. And church, Jesus himself, risen from the dead, is both the beginning and the sign of this new world that he was bringing. Their eyes were wide open to see Jesus. And I think what Luke is doing in this story that we see, we read this every year. But I think what he's doing, he's inviting us in to accompany Jesus on our, the journey to faith. Inviting it in to Luke's own journey of faith that he is following after Jesus. A faith that takes us through anxiety that takes us through sorrow. A faith that will take us to meet the very Jesus who accomplished his father's business. It brings us to a Jesus that longs to share, as he did with this couple, the very secrets of the plan of God. And, get, and he brings us into the very gift of his own presence and he brings it with us as his followers. Amen. Now, I think what Luke has done here, I think he's described as, as you know, as for us, as he said he would, at the, you know, back in chapter 9, about the new exodus. Remember when Jesus set his face to Jerusalem? He had set his face to go to Jerusalem. To do what? To bring about the new exodus. The new way of bringing redemption to accomplish all that God had set up for humanity. The new exodus that would attack the real slave master. The real one keeping all of humanity in bondage. That he would conquer death itself. You know, it's interesting, earthly tyrants, earthly kings, people in power, what do they often use as a means of gaining control? The fear of what? Death. To boost up their rule. And I think that's why the crucifixion was such a symbol of Roman authority. You mess around with Rome, you find out. But here's the beauty. Victory over death... You know what it does to all of those who have power? It robs them of everything that they have. It robs them of their main threat. And not only that, sin, which means, basically just simply means human's rebellion, humanity's rebellion against God. And so therefore, when, you know, when rebelling against God, conspiring with death, to distort God's good creation as our ancestors had done all the way back at Genesis 3. Sin is likewise 
defeated. Jesus has led God's new people out of slavery, and now he invites them to accompany him on the new journey to the better promised land. Amen? And the beauty of this church is the road to Emmaus is just the beginning. Hearing Jesus' voice in the scripture describing who he is, knowing him in the breaking of bread as we do time and time again, is the way. You want to know the way to living out a life of faith? It's in God's word. Revealing to us day after day who Jesus is. Why? Because it all points to who? To him. And the other way is we we bring together the cup and the bread. And we celebrate together the very beauty of what Jesus has done for us. But along the way... And as we see at the end of their journey here, this couple's journey, along the way, we're to be like those two. I love what it says in verse 33, or 32, look at this. It says, then they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us while he was speaking with us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Is your heart burning? Does your heart burn to know Jesus? But I love this. So they got up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who gathered together, saying, what? The Lord has really risen. And he has appeared to Simon. And then they told what had happened on the road and how they recognized him when he broke the bread. Church, along the journey to Christ, we're like the two, going to everyone who has ears to hear. Telling them the beautiful truth that we celebrate today. That what? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Welcome to God's new world. Amen? That is why we exist. For His glory. Let us pray. Heavenly 